Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Father, I just thank you that um, I'm here with family, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that just from the moment I've been here, Lord, this whole this whole morning in this building, Lord, has just been about you. And I thank you for that, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that as I bring this word, that you will prepare the people's hearts to receive it, Lord. You prepare my heart to bring it. I know that some of the things are going to be tough, Lord. So I just commit this day to you, Lord. I commit this, this word to you in Jesus' name. Amen. They give me this stool I thought it was for, to stand on. Why is that so funny? <laughs> I said um, to my daughter this morning, like my iPad's really giving me grief. It just doesn't, it, it works for a while and then sometimes it shuts down. So she said, Dad, why don't we just, you email me the, the stuff and we can print it. So I said, um, okay. So I've emailed her the stuff. And there was 14 pages of notes. She goes, wow, Dad, are you for real? I said, yeah, but the font is on size 14. <laughs> so there's probably about eight pages of notes. Um, I said, so would you print this for me? And she said, yeah. And then we ran out of ink. And I'm thinking, oh, man. This whole day I'm thinking, is this how it's going to be, Lord? And um, Rob texted me first thing and he said, how are you feeling, bruv? And I said, I'm under attack. And he, he texted me back. He said, thank the Lord. And that's what I say, thank the Lord. Because hopefully what I'm going to bring to you is going to be a word of encouragement. Maybe some, in a few places, we could be a little bit discouraged. But ultimately, it's going to encourage you. So if you want to turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to try and get through these 15 verses. Um, It's the ESV version. It was for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you, would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. There's always been those people who balk at the idea of God's salvation being offered freely. The reason that such a huge gift as forgiveness from a, from a holy God, they think there has to be some kind of payment. Thank God for his grace, but we understand, we understand that in ourselves that we think, oh, he, he wants something from us. It can't just be free. 
this gift of grace, it can't be free. We have to give something. You know, it's like if you if you're a, maybe you catch it, if you get a minicab, it's I have to give a tip. You know, I have to. If someone says to you, it's free, you don't have to pay. Well, no, no, I have to give something. Let me give you something. And it's kind of like that feeling with, with salvation. It's really hard almost to accept it's a free gift. In the early church, there was those, they took a combination of God's grace and human effort. And they were called Judaizers. The word Judaizer, it comes from a, a Greek verb, just meaning to live according to Jewish customs. And a word appears in Galatians 2.14 where Paul describes how he confronted Peter for forcing Gentile Christians to Judaize. A Judaizer taught that in order for a Christian to truly be right with God, he must conform to the Mosaic law. And in this particular epistle, circumcision is what he's talking about. That was promoted. And they were saying, this is necessary. You're a Gentile. You've got to first become Jewish. Be circumcised. And then you can become a Christian. You see, the doctrine of Judaizers, it was a mixture of grace through Christ and works through keeping the law. And this false doctrine was dealt with in Acts 15. And it's strongly condemned as you go through Galatians. You're probably thinking, what on earth has that got to do in today's culture? We'll see as we go on. The Judaizers in Acts chapter 15, they opposed Paul and Barnabas. And some men who belonged to the party of the Pharisees insisted that Gentiles couldn't be saved unless they're first circumcised. There was no longer any distinction between Jew and Gentile, Scripture says, for God's purified the hearts of the Gentiles by faith. He said it plainly in Galatians 2.16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Nobody is justified by the works of the law. To add anything to the work of Christ, that Christ did for salvation is to negate or to make ineffective God's grace. We're saved by grace alone. Through faith alone. Not by returning to the law. Galatians 2.21 I do not nullify or set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died For nothing. The Bible's clear that the attempt to add any human works to God's grace overlooks the very meaning of grace. Which is God's undeserving blessing to us. As Paul says, if by grace, then it can't be based on works. If it were grace, if it were grace, would no longer be grace. See Romans 11 verse 6. Praise the Lord. Christ has set us free. He has set us free. Stand firm. And don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You see the first 15 verses of Galatians 5. They're like a lawyer's closing statement to a jury. Paul summons all his rhetorical power to make one final assault on the Judaizers and their false gospel that's built around circumcision. Admittingly, contextually, this is written to people that are being circumcised. We're probably thinking that day, what's the big deal? Well, as he presses for a decision, he uses really strong language. In verse 12, he says, it kind of reveals the depth of his righteous anger against the Judaizers. He says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Now, I guess we all know what that means. (laughs) It's a strong word. 
It's a strong word. Martin Luther paraphrased it this way. Think of where circumcision is. And he says, I wish the knife would slip. Paul said this. This is what Paul said. Paul said this. So circumcision, this is a big deal. It's a big deal, but how? How is that a big deal to us? We'll see. As I said, that may sound strange to our ears. These who were advocating circumcision, Paul said, if they want to be so fulfilled with their legalistic requirements, he's so angry at their legalism, he says, why don't they go the whole way and emasculate themselves if there is some kind of virtue in this kind of fleshly and carnal adherence to rules? Go the whole way. That's what he's saying. But it gives an idea, it gives us an idea of the serious nature of the whole issue of legalism. What Paul is really saying is, if man-made laws are keeping you Galatians from God's liberty... If man-made rules are keeping God's children from their freedom and holding them in bondage, I can't, it's so serious, so serious, so as to pronounce a curse on those who are using such lies. Paul starts by challenging the Galatians to make a decisive choice for Christ, for grace, for freedom, and for the cross of Christ. The first verse is, for freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The most basic choice is between slavery and freedom. This verse tells us why Christ came. He came to set us free. He's come to set us free. It also tells us what we must do to maintain our freedom. We are to stand firm. Stand firm. And it warns, it warns us what we've got to avoid. Submitting again to a yoke of slavery. The crucial point is that freedom comes at the cost of continual vigilance. If we want to be free from the, the yoke of slavery, we must take our position in Christ every day and stand our ground against anything and anyone who wants to steal that freedom from us. Underlying this is the reality that grace and works don't mix. Grace and works don't mix. And when I say works, I mean works as a means of gaining God's favour. Either you're being saved wholly and only by God's grace, or else you feel you must do something to merit God's favour. These two opinions, options, are mutually exclusive. The problem is, is that we live in a performance-based world. There are certain people within the church who lay a yoke of guilt on people by adding demands to the Christian life that don't come from the Bible. They enforce rules of conduct and make those rules virtually equivalent to God's will for the followers. Those who refuse to follow the rules are regarded as less spiritual, as carnal, as backslidden, and possibly even unsaved. The biblical position is not that rules are wrong. There's nothing wrong with rules. All of us need rules. When the light's red, don't drive your car through. That's a good rule. That's a good rule. There's nothing wrong with rules. We need them to to help us make wise decisions. But we can't think that merely by obeying human rules, we have earned God's favour. In the same way, others put us down. You're unfit, you're unworthy. You're a total disappointment. And they write you off as unqualified. But standing firm in our freedom enables us to learn from our defeats while not being defeated by them. 
How do we stand firm in our freedom when we live, as I said, in a performance-based world? The answer is is that we continually remind ourselves and do it several times a day, as the King James Bible says, that God has already declared that we are accepted in the Beloved. We're already accepted in the Beloved. Already accepted in the Beloved. And because we're now in Christ, Christ now lives in us. Galatians 2.20. And this is the basis for our assurance that we are the children of God, that our position in God's family is secure. It's secure. And we've been set free from the guilt of sin. We're being set free from the power of sin. And that someday we're going to be entirely set free from the presence of sin. One of the implications of this verse is that it's impossible for us to be enslaved unless we voluntarily allow it to happen. No one can chain us up again unless we willingly surrender our freedom. So stand firm. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Whom the Son sets free is free a little bit. Is free indeed. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And the picture is of an ox that's bowed down by a heavy yoke. And once that ox has been freed from the crushing yoke, it's able to stand upright again. That picture is in Leviticus 26, 13, where it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery, that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk upright. Not under a yoke of bondage. It's the same in a Christian life. At one time, we were under the yoke of the law, burdened by its demands that we couldn't meet. But Christ met those demands. Christ met those demands of the law. He died for our disobedience, He took our condemnation. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. 2,000 years ago, Jesus hung on the cross. He took the sin of mankind. Died on that cross. Was put in a grave and three days later rose again. Amen. Amen. Three days later, Christ rises again. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law. We can, with Paul, with the Apostle Paul, we can say, Oh, death, where is your sting? We can say that because of what Christ has done for us. He has redeemed us, and that's what we call redemption. When you redeem something, you're purchasing it back. The Bible says that you've been bought with a price. The purchase price was God's own son. His life was given so that we might be purchased and set free. Set free. Remember Barabbas? You remember Barabbas? We don't know much about him. But we do know is that he was all bad. He was a robber. He was a murderer. He'd been caught and sentenced to death. He's on death row, awaiting his execution, death by crucifixion, and then an amazing twist of providence happened. He found himself released from the prison and set free. Christ took his place. Yeah, the person that was all bad, Christ took his place. We're Barabbas. We don't know much, like I said, we don't know much about him, but we were destined for a cross. But Jesus Christ took our place. We were all under the sentence of death. But he took our death upon himself and died in our place. He became our substitute and he has set us free. John 8 36, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Free indeed. 
In verses 2 to 4, Paul explains the disastrous consequences of choosing to go back to the law as a means of pleasing God. He uses circumcision as an example because that was a particular issue troubling the Galatians. The Galatians needed to hear these strong words because circumcision seems like a very small thing in the grand scale of things. It's a tiny operation, a small concession to the Judaizers. That's all it is. It's a small concession. Come on. Come on, it's easy. It's easy. It's not a lot. You've been paying for a few days. Job done. But when it comes to freedom, there's no small concessions. Tiny decisions have enormous consequences. The false teachers in the Galatian church were saying that Christian converts had to be circumcised. We could be forgiven, as I said, the thinking this is a trivial matter. So why did Paul make so much fuss about it? Why is he so bent out of shape about it? Why? Because of its doctrinal implications. For the false teachers, circumcision was neither a physical operation or a ceremonial rite but a theological symbol. It stood for a particular type of religion. Namely, salvation by good works in obedience to the law. The slogan of the false teachers was, unless you're circumcised and keep the law, you can't be saved. They were basically saying that faith in Christ was insufficient for salvation. Circumcision and law, obedience, had to be added to it. It had to be added to it. The legalists among the Galatians wanted them to think that they could have both Jesus and a law relationship. Paul tells them this is not an option open to them. This isn't an option. The system of grace and the system of law, they are totally incompatible. John Calvin says, whoever wants to have half of Christ loses the whole of Christ. Listen to what Paul says concerning the issue. He doesn't mince his words. He says, look, I, look, I say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. It's going to be of no advantage to you. Paul's saying, mark my words. I tell you, if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ is of no value to you at all. Compare this with verse 6 where Paul says that circumcision itself doesn't matter one way or the other. It's not a rewarding act and it's not a sin in and of itself. It is nothing. It doesn't mean a thing. But to be, circumstances under these, to be circumcised under these circumstances would be to reject the gospel of the grace of God. It'd be saying, Christ isn't enough for me. I need to be circumcised too. Well, in that case, you've lost the benefits that Christ came to secure for you. You've turned from freedom into chains of slavery to the law. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision is obligated to keep the whole law. The law is not a restaurant where you can say, oh, I'll have a helping of circumcision. Uh, I don't want any sacrifices. Uh, I'll have a few feast days, but I'll have an extra helping of the Levitical priesthood but I don't really want anything else. It doesn't work that way. The law of God is an all or nothing proposition. I'm building a picture here for you. Okay? James 2.10 reminds us, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For all of it. Paul says, don't go in the door of circumcision thinking you can stop there. Once you walk through that door, you're just obligated to keep the whole law. All of it, all the time. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. Scary scripture. Not as scary as it appears. It's important to remember this is not a statement about personal salvation. Paul's concern here is about the implications of following false doctrine. It's not about personal sin, but about the dangerous substituting law for grace. 
Once you turn back to the law as a means of pleasing God, you've abandoned the gospel of grace. You're severed from Christ. You're alienated from Christ. Living by the law is effectively a kind of Christ rejection. That's how serious this is. Paul uses this term, it is falling away from grace. Don't fall into the misunderstanding of that statement and think that it's teaching some kind of saved and lost doctrine. You know, one minute we're saved by grace, next minute I blow it, I'm not saved. And then I'm okay, and then I've blown it, and then I'm okay, and then I've blown it. That's not what he's saying. What it means in this context, if you're going to follow the law, you're effectively rejecting Christ. And it's a departure from God's ordained means of salvation and God's ordained means of sanctification. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, it don't count for anything. But only faith working through love. Having painted a picture of what's going to happen if freedom in Christ is given up for the yoke of slavery, Paul now describes in verses 5 to 6 how freedom in Christ is maintained. And these verses, they focus on faith. Faith in Christ is the only way to protect our freedom in Christ. Paul spells it out in a very concise terms what this life of faith is like. First, he says, the life of faith is life by the Spirit. By faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit. By faith in the gospel, we receive the Spirit. We now live by the Spirit. We're led by the Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit. The presence of the Spirit makes us as the children of God. And the power of the Spirit produces in us the character of God. The control of the Spirit in our lives makes the yoke of law unnecessary. Those walking in the Spirit, they also eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. They're not trying to earn it by performing good works. They're not striving anxiously to secure it. We don't have to strive to secure it, to secure our righteousness. We don't have to work to secure it. You can't do nothing to secure it. It's a free gift. You can't pay for it. What's the hope of righteousness then? What's Paul saying? Though we have already been counted righteous in God's sight in our justification, what we have positionally before the Father is not yet our full experience in practice. We still struggle with the flesh and we will give in to sin on occasion. Maybe some, maybe more occasions than others. And that is until our deaths or the return of Christ, whatever comes first. But Paul does give us the confidence that we will in fact on a final day be resurrected, incorruptible and free from sin. That's why even now we're we're eagerly awaiting the hope of our righteousness, of our glorification. 1 John says, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. As we saw earlier, those walking in the Spirit know that being circumcised or uncircumcised means nothing. It means nothing. Neither one matters. You ain't better if you're keeping the law or if you ain't keeping the law. You ain't worse if you've been circumcised or if you ain't been. The only harm is is in trusting in something that is completely irrelevant. You were running well, Paul said. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than the one... And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. If our brothers still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you 
It's that word again. Would emasculate themselves. Paul turns from addressing the issue of circumcision and he now addresses the issues of the false teachers and their bad influence on the Galatians. In the next few voices, verses, he points out the dangers of living by the law instead of living by grace. It's hard to live by grace. It's hard for me to live by grace. Because it's free. It's free. I must have to do something. I must have to do something. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Paul remembered their good start in the faith, but he also knows it isn't enough to start well. They're still in danger of falling from grace. Who hindered you? A commentator called Lightfoot on the word hindered said, it's a metaphor derived from military operations. And the word signifies to break up a road so as to render it impassable. The Galatians are doing well. Someone's broke up the road that they ran on. Some of us here are doing well, but somebody has broke up the road and made it impassable for you. Paul is saying, what you're starting to believe is affecting the way you're behaving. You're no longer running well as you once did. People are hindering you. People are persuading you of ideas that are not of God, but are of men. That kind of persuasion is not from him who calls you. Paul wants the Galatians to know that though the Judaizers claim to be speaking for God, it wasn't true. As he says elsewhere, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Corinthians 3.13 says now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom freedom the Lord wants us to be free not bound again by the chains of suffocating legalism legalism will lead to other areas other errors that's what legalism does Paul said, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Paul reminds them that one act of disobedience soon leads to another, just as, just as you have to tell a second lie, a third lie, and a fourth one to cover up the first lie. Even so, one sin, even a small one, leads on to other errors. In this case, taking even a tiny step toward the law soon leads to total enslavement. I was in work the other day and uh, this skip lorry came in to change the skip on the site. And uh, he came through the gate, the gates, the electric gates. And as he, he put his foot down, got caught out, whack, he took, out, he took out the gates. I didn't see this, but I went over to sign his paperwork. And I jokingly said, because I looked at the gates and they, they were broke. I go, did you do that? And he went, yeah, but the gate shut on me. And he went... Look, my lorry's scratched. I'm, I'm going to have to pay for this the next, the next six weeks. I goes, that's all right, mate. Said, Don't worry. Go, I, I won't say anything. Oh, it bit me on the backside. It really bit me on the backside. That's what happens. It just spiraled. I've then faced with my manager coming to me. Who hit the gates? Oh, I'm like, oh, man. So... What I'd done was, was I said, so-and-so, see, the lorry hit the gate. Because they did. So now I'm getting myself in all kinds of situation because I've got myself in this, situa- in this situation. It's now just a little leaven. It's now corrupting the whole lump. I'm now, every part of me, I'm like, oh, um, uh, and... <laughs> a little leaven leavens the whole lump. 
I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty of whoever he is. As I just said, it's clear that Paul, he didn't, he, Paul didn't personally know the Judaizers who were misleading the Galatians. He didn't know who they were. He only knows that they're going to be judged by God for teaching false doctrine to impressionable young Christians, old Christians, medium-age Christians, any kind of Christian. The emphasis on circumcision, on circumcision has led to enormous spiritual confusion and caused many of these new believers to waver in their trust in the Lord. Paul says, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still be- being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been removed. If only he'd start preaching circumcision. It's, that's all they want. It's critics, they'd be happy and they'd leave him alone. That's something Paul wasn't going to do. The cross is the centre of his faith. The cross is the centre of our faith. Let others preach circumcision. He was just going to preach Christ crucified. You see, in the cross, there is forgiveness. In the cross, there is freedom. In In the cross, there is liberation. In the cross, there is new life. In the cross, there is abundant life. In a cross, there is access to God. In a cross, there is membership in God's family. In a cross, there is redemption. In a cross, there is reconciliation. There's peace with God. There's eternal life. There's the hope of heaven. Why would anyone exchange that for fouled legalism? The cross is still repugnant and offensive. In the last few years, we've heard news reports about employees being threatened with dismissal if they wear a cross to work. That shouldn't surprise us. The cross is always controversial. And there will always be those who are offended by it when we we proclaim the cross of Christ. They're always going to be offended by it. Never be ashamed of the cross. Never fear to own his name and a cross in public. Never be, never be afraid. Never back down when questioned about what you believe, especially when it comes to the gospel. There can be no compromise because a small compromise in this area produces disastrous results. Like I said, circumcision seems like a minor issue and it is until it's made into a requirement for salvation then the minor act becomes a major heresy. It'll kill you. A bit like a, you can have a big juicy steak sandwich with plenty of salad. You only got to put a drop of arsenic in it and it will kill you. Nothing can be added to the blood of Jesus Christ as the grounds of acceptance with God. There is nothing that can be added. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It is faith in Christ that moves the heart of God. When you tell the Father you trust in his Son as your Saviour, you're born again. Redeemed, reconciled, welcomed into God's family. Adopted, justified, regenerated, and given eternal life. And it all comes as a free gift. On the simple and single condition of wholehearted trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what a legalist does? He creates false guilt and false shame. Because of man-made rules and regulations. And in Christians, they're weighed down so much by them that all their joy and all their peace and all their victory goes. I'm not talking about happiness. I'm talking about joy. I wasn't happy last week when France beat Ireland, uh, Ireland beat France in a rugby. Because England should have won. 
but it was a fleeting moment. It's just that happiness is a happening. Joy is inexpressible. You can have a face like you've been baptised in lemon juice and be filled with joy. I don't think you would, but I'm saying. I have to painfully admit there's been times when I have weighed Christians down with unnecessary burdens. I painfully admit that. Why do we make Christians feel more and more guilty when the New Testament message is they are not guilty? Whereas, whereas an awareness of their guiltlessness in Christ will be the very thing that will enable them to live victoriously over sin. I'll repeat that. An awareness of their guiltlessness in Christ will be the very thing that will enable them to live victoriously over sin. An awareness that we are justified. An awareness that we are sanctified. Not by ourselves, but by a gracious act of God in Christ Jesus. And that by faith he puts us in Christ and immediately we're justified and set apart for him. Immediately. Immediately. I've often made a better job of pointing out people's failures... And faults rather than pointing them to the solution and how they can get over their hang-ups. Legalists and legalism bring death and not life. Paul said it in 2 Corinthians that we as New Testament ministers of the new covenant are not ministers of the letter, that is the law, but the spirit. For the letter, the law kills, but the spirit gives life. That's why Jesus said to the the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You bunch of hypocrites. Hypocrite comes from the the Greek word that's used for actors who'd walk around with a mask on, play acting. They're play acting with this mask. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Look at him doing that. Look at her doing that. She said this. She said that. And on the outside, looking really good. Legalism produces spiritual performers without reality. Legalism prevents us being real with ourselves. Legalism prevents us being real with the Lord. Legalism can't bring life in a spirit. Legalism robs us of the blood-bought possessions that we have in the redemption of Jesus Christ. That's what legalism does. Are you saying, Carl, that there's no boundaries? No. I'm not saying there's no boundaries. I have boundaries. We should all have boundaries. But what I'm saying and what Paul is saying and the whole of the New Testament teaches is that you shouldn't make laws out of your boundaries. And you certainly shouldn't make your boundary laws for others. There's many boundaries in Scripture. That's what we, they're, they're the ones we call the fundamental, fundamental doctrines of Scripture. They're non-negotiable regarding a person of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace through faith. Then there's moral laws enshrined in the Ten Commandments. There's nothing wrong with thou shalt not murder. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a good moral law. 
Generally speaking, they're non-negotiable. We're not talking about those things. If we look at verse 19 through to 21, you see there's many sins that Paul mentions. And at the end of that list, he says, I want you to know that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, I'm not saying we can do what we want. I'm not saying that. I'm not talking about morality. I'm certainly not talking about fundamental doctrine. There are definitely New Testament principles and New Testament guidelines that we must discern and weigh up scripturally. But here's the problem of legalism. And this is the legalism I'm talking about. When we decide to protect people in case they cross one of these boundaries, one of these principles of the New Testament, we decide I'm going to protect them in case they go too far. We build our own fences around those principles in order to protect them from sinning. That's where the problem starts. It's what the Pharisees did with the Torah. They accepted all the laws of God, and that was okay. And then what they did, in case anyone come close to breaking the laws, is is another 613 rules. There's 10, but have another 613 to go with it. Take that with you. Now you just, you can't move. You can't move. Oh, but we're, we're, those 613s, they're there to keep the people safe. It was sincere. It was well-meaning and motivated. But here's what happens, and it always happens with legalism. It doesn't take very long before the man-made fences become laws, and then tragically, the original biblical guideline is lost. It's no longer faith. It's, no, 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 bruv. Before you really think about it, you should probably just get yourself right. You know, stop doing what you're doing. You know, stop living that homosexual lifestyle. Uh, you know, stop, stop that, that, that fornicate, fornicating life that you're in uh, and, and stop, stop taking drugs and drinking alcohol um, and stop all that stuff and then, then you can become a Christian. No. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Come unto me, all you that are burdened and heavy laden. Come unto me, all you that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you, give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. You see, in 2 Corinthians, I'm going to give us a couple of, um, a couple of illustrations of, of what I mean by this. Um, 2 Corinthians 6.14. It says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership is righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship is light with darkness? The original context of that verse was teaching that we as Christian believers in the New Testament should have nothing to do again with pagan ritualism. We should not be eating at the table of Baal or some false god during the week and at pagan festivals and then on the Lord's Day eating at the Lord's table. That's what it means. But some have applied this to Christian marriage. Okay, I think it can be, all right? Okay, I'm not saying we can't use it. Okay, it can be. But what we've often done is we've gone further. And we've applied it to say that, well, if you get saved, you need to be very careful of your non-Christian friends. You need to be careful you're not unequally yoked together with them. Now, you don't really want to hang around with unbelievers. And then the next step that happens is your fellowship has um, an evangelistic outreach. <laughs> and you've ditched all your unsaved friends. <laughs> and you're looking around in the evangelistic outreach and going, I ain't got any friends. Because you've taken this bit of scripture 
And we said, I'm going to apply this. I'm going to, un- I'm going to ditch all these unsafe, unsafe people. And I'm spiritual. I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm better than that person. I'm better than that person. He hangs out with unsaved people. Yeah, he hangs out with them. He's, you, don't, you don't really want to be with him. You're scratching your head. You're looking around a place for some unsafe friends that you dumped years ago. You ain't got them anymore. Because the goalposts have moved now. Because you've been safe for a while now. Yeah, you're theologically, you're a man. <laughs> As I used to say, God's man of the hour with more power. You're that man. I can't hang out with them. They'll affect me. No, you affect them. You affect them. You with me? Uh, we have to choose friends wisely. But listen, if we've got no unsaved friends, who are we going to bring to Jesus? Thank the Lord that there are guys that go out on the street. That's beautiful. Some of us, some of us need to make friends with our work colleagues. Some of us need to do that, you know. Hang out with them. It's okay. I'm not saying go nightclubs and go drinking and do this kind of stuff, you know. But what I'm saying is, is you know what? If the, my manager, if, do you fancy coming out? Or, you know, we'll go down to the pub, we'll have a meal. Okay. I went to the rugby a few weeks ago with an unsaved guy. I had a beer. A beer. Because <laughs> that's another one, ain't it? Oh, I don't drink. The Bible doesn't say don't drink. It says don't get drunk. Now, I'm not advocating drinking, okay? If, you're, if, if in you, you don't want to drink, fine. Just don't put that on me. Don't put that on anyone else. Because when we start putting that on people, you start thinking, oh, oh. and it happened to me. It happened to me. A few years ago, I was around Rob's having a bit of time with him and he says bruv do you want a shandy I went what do you mean you stiff necked uncircumcised a heart what <laughs> you want a shandy I went um. inside I'm going god do I <laughs> but on the outside I went oh no I don't really drink <laughs> and so he, said, he says it's alcohol free I went, thank you lord <laughs> Now listen, that's a funny story, but, but listen, what, what it, got, it got me thinking is, is there's no different difference between the non-alcohol and the alcohol. I wanted the shandy, <laughs> but me, I was thinking by me not drinking the alcohol, that I was more, I was better than other people. That's what I felt. I felt I'm better. I'm better than, than that person. You drink? You, you drink. A brother come to me and I, t- I told him a story of, of Pastor Chuck Smith who was in, in, uh, he was in the States and a, a couple came up to him on a Sunday morning and said, we see you leaving Walmart yesterday with beer. And he said, no, you didn't. They said, oh, yes, you did. <laughs> no, you didn't. And he started thinking, oh. he said, what you, see me, what you see me leaving Walmart with was root beer. And I'm like, yeah, you see, that's why you should be seen with beer in your hand. And I was telling his brother this, and he said, I think you should get over yourself. <laughs> and I said, why? He said, get over yourself, bruv. Get over yourself. If you don't want to drink beer, that's fine. It really is fine. Just don't put it on each other. Let the Lord convict us of that. He'll convict us. We don't need to be the Holy Spirit prod. The Holy Spirit will do it for us. He takes those things out of our life. And when he does remove them, they're for good. Okay, I'm not saying that you know, we, we don't struggle with things. Yes, but I'm saying when he does it, it's effective. We can all talk about our kids when we say don't do that. It's a red rag to a ball. 
You say to your kids, don't do this. They go, yeah, okay. No, 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 don't do it. Yeah, all right. Don't do it. I'm going to do it. That's what, that's what we're like. Allow the Lord to do it in us. Uh, hear what I'm not saying. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we can go and do as we please. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is let's not get into these, these places of, yeah, well, I've ditched all my unsafe friends. I'm more spiritual than you. I, I don't drink beer. I'm more spiritual than you. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, listen, you can be circumcised. You can do, listen, you can do all of them things. It don't make you any more saved. That's what he's saying. It doesn't make any of you any more saved. It's not going to make you, give you any more right standing before the Lord. But what it is going to do, it's going to cause you to have friction with your fellow brothers and sisters. Because they're going to be around you and think, oh man. Scripture says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. We get saved and our kindness goes. We get saved and the goalposts get smaller. Man, it was a huge open goal when I got saved. I come in filthy rotten, full of the world. I was welcomed in with open arms. Christ says, come in, son. Come in. Yeah, but I thought this and done this and said that. Come in. Come in. Yeah, but, but, but I, I must. Come in. Come in, son. Then you get saved. You've been saved for 25 years. You get a little bit of theological knowledge. Oh, no way, man. You drink beer? No. No way. No way. We need to learn down as mature, we need to learn as mature believers to differentiate between clearly laid down biblical New Testament principles and preferences and prejudices. Okay? This is the last example. I'm kind of going to struggle with this one because it don't really affect you guys. <laughs> it, might, it might affect some. Lifting up your hands in worship and prayer. <laughs> you may not be extrovert in your worship. That's okay. That's your preference. That's fine. But it's, a, but it's a prejudice if you prohibit it for another person. You see, if you don't feel comfortable, don't do it. Don't do it. But don't look down on someone who does it. And don't look down on someone who doesn't do it. Circumcision, it doesn't matter one way or the other. It don't matter. It's okay. It's okay. I haven't seen this, but I've heard about this. Where certain people, they start changing hymns and choruses of what the author wrote. Things like, I lift up my hands to the king of kings. And they're uncomfortable with it. And they change it to, I lift up my heart to the king of kings. That's what legalism does. Lift up your hands if you want. It's okay. Keep your hands down if you want. That's okay. Don't do it because your whole row does it and you don't. Oh, no. I'm the only one. <laughs> and when the video is shown on a podcast, on the video cast, I'll be the only one. <laughs> oh, no. And they'll go, you're not really spiritual, are you? <laughs> We've seen how to recognize legalists. And their legalism, but finally and very quickly, there is a warning. We don't flaunt liberty, okay? We don't flaunt it. We're not allowed to. If it's going to be the downfall of a weak brother or sister, we don't do it. Therefore, let us not pass judgment, Romans 14:1 says, on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. If you like a beer and a brother has a drink problem, don't drink. That's the only thing I would say. That's the only thing. But don't think that by not doing these things, you're going to be any more right standing in the Lord. You're really not going to be. There is nothing else. The gospel is all we've got. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
Verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out. You're not consumed by one another. Jesus never said they will know that you are my disciples because you are theologically correct and obey the law and put people under, or put yourself under bondage. He didn't say that. He says that you will know that you are my disciples by your love. Some of us have lost that love. Some of us have lost our first love. Our first love is Jesus Christ. He's our first love. Do you remember when you, got, you first got saved? Can you remember? Boy, you couldn't shut your mouth. I remember in the post office, I could not stop telling everybody about the Lord. There was an excitement. There was a joy. I didn't care what people felt. I had no boundaries. I wouldn't care who people was. In that post office in them days, we witnessed the homosexuals. We witnessed to, to people who was addicted to drugs. We didn't care. We didn't look at anything. We just had that compassion for people. We wanted them to have what we had. We hadn't put so much stuff in our lives that had prevented us from giving, from freely we'd received, freely we give. Do you remember those days? Ain't it sad that we sit here with a smile on our face? Some of us may be fondly going, yeah, I remember those days. Perhaps we've lost our first love. But there's hope because Jesus said we can return to that first love. And it doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter what we've said. We can return to it. There's consequences to our, our sin. We know that. I don't have to tell you all that. But we can return to him. Return to that first love. Fall in love with Jesus again. Fall in love with him. We have such smiles when we look back on what it was like. We can remember with such fondness what it was like. What's happened? We started out so well, maybe. Perhaps there's been a roadblock put there that's made it impassable. Perhaps that roadblock is the bondage that we put ourselves under. Instead of coming back, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. And who the sun sets free. We are free indeed. Legalists aren't very loving. They really ain't. I know. Because I was one. I very much lived a legalist lifestyle. If I teach Bible study, then I'll get noticed. Hey, I thought that for two years. If I can out-battle you with scripture on can you or can't you lose your salvation, perhaps I can pursue you out the door to never come back again. I've done that. I've become so legalist. I forgot what grace means. I was thinking if I can do all of these things, then I'm going to be that better person. Then I'm going to find more favor with Christ. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, stand and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't get caught up in yourself. Get caught up in Christ Jesus. That ain't me. <laughs> Matthew 24, I'll finish on this, says this. And he's talking concerning the last days. He says, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you. You love one another just as I've loved you. 
you're also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love one another. Be tolerant with one another. If someone lifts their hands and you don't want to, don't. If someone's got worldly friends and you you haven't, don't worry about it. Display the love of Christ. Display the love of Christ. Let's pray. Does does the, the band want to come up, please? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you that Lord Jesus, you are the only begotten Son that says who the Son sets free, they shall be free indeed. And I pray, Lord, that by the power of grace through faith in the Spirit, Lord, that people who are shackled and enslaved by their own rules, by their own feelings of, I'm going to be better if I do this. I'm going to be better if I do this. I'll be better than that person. people that are shackled by the rules and restrictions of others, Lord, that they will embrace the liberty that is found in you. We know, Lord, that we, it doesn't mean we ignore the principles of, of holiness, but it does mean, Lord, that we realise the principles of holiness. No longer falling short, Lord, but allowing you to live in us. That's what we need, Lord you to live in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.